This morning we're beginning a new sermon series for the season of Lent called Journey to Jerusalem, where we'll be following Jesus throughout the Gospels and and looking at the path that Jesus takes all the way to the cross and then, of course, to Easter morning. And this morning we're beginning with the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. But before I read that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your Spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will, for all of us as your church, and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. But in the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companion hunted for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And he answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So just last week, Julianne and I were able to take a little family trip, and thank you for giving us the chance to do that. We got to celebrate my birthday and and celebrate Valentine's Day together with some family. And like any trip, we we went out and and started looking at a map and, and charting our trip before we got on the road. We like to do that to try to figure out what is the best way to, to get there in the best, the least amount of time. And But of course, uh, like most of us, we now rely on those navigation systems on our phone to help us get there quickly. It used to be these little navigation systems would just tell you things like turn right or turn left, but now they've gotten so far more sophisticated. In fact, our navigation system that I use on my phone, I can actually choose the name of the person who is giving us directions and choose the language that they use and even choose the accent in which they speak. We chose a woman named Sharon from Great Britain to, to give us our directions as we were driving up to South Carolina. And, and those directions have gotten so much more sophisticated as well. Instead of just telling us where to turn and when to turn, they can now, Sharon could tell us uh, when there was some obstacles in the road ahead of us or, or when the traffic was slowing down or, or when there might be an accident in the road ahead of us or even from time to time if there was a police officer in the road ahead of us. So we can listen to Sharon and that British accent giving us directions all the way up to our destination. And we were getting closer and closer, making pretty good time, and we got right outside of Charleston a fairly good-sized city there in South Carolina. And right before we got to our turn to, to go around Charleston to bypass the city, we heard Sharon say, recalculating. 
And it was in that moment we realized Sharon was getting some, some news from the satellites that, that might be a, a different path that we could take to make a little bit quicker journey. And so, in fact, sure enough, she told us that if we turned right at the next crossroads instead of left, we could go through downtown and actually make it faster because there wasn't a lot of traffic in downtown. Julianne and I didn't have a lot of time. We had to make a decision fairly quickly. But finally, we decided to trust Sharon's judgment, and we changed lanes pretty quickly, made a quick turn. And in fact, she was right. We made that right-hand turn at the crossroads and, and got to our destination just a little bit faster. And we all come to crossroads like that, literal crossroads and figurative crossroads in our lives when we have to make a decision about which way we will go. And it would be nice if we had those voices that are telling us which is the, the better path, which is the right path to take. And I dare say Jesus in our passage this morning found himself at a crossroads. Jesus had been in the town of Capernaum, and it was a town, uh, uh, as we know, Jesus was persecuted in a lot of towns, but in the town of Capernaum, Jesus was loved by the people there. Jesus had called Simon and Andrew, and he was there at their house, and, and, and Jesus healed uh, the mother-in-law of Simon, and, and people all over Capernaum were hearing about Jesus, learning about who he was, hearing the things that he had been teaching, and, and of course, learning that he was healing people. And so people all over Capernaum Capernaum couldn't wait to, to hear Jesus speak, to, to have Jesus heal them or heal their friends. And they were very happy for Jesus to be there. And, and in the midst of a long day of healing and teaching and preaching as Jesus had been doing, Jesus decides to go out to a lonely place and pray. Now you might remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about Sabbath and at first glance at this story it might be, seem like that's what Jesus is doing here after a long hard day of working hard and healing people and teaching them about the gospel. Maybe Jesus has decided to go out and take a little Sabbath time. But when we look closer at the scripture... We realize that this is not a Sabbath moment for Jesus. The word there in the Greek is not Shabbat Sabbath, but it's a different word, a word that is translated as the lonely place or the wilderness. Jesus has gone out to the wilderness to pray. And as you know from other times where we've talked about it, the wilderness is a place that pops up all throughout Scripture, and it is not a Sabbath type of place. It is a place where people wrestle, wrestle with their faith and wrestle with God. It was a place where those Hebrew children wandered for so long, wondering if God still loved them, doubting whether God was still there. The wilderness is a place sometimes of fear, sometimes of frustration, but it is always a place where we wrestle with God and wrestle with ourselves. And many times it's out there in the wilderness when we come across a crossroads. A time where we are having to make a difficult decision about who we are called to be, if we're going to continue on the path that we're on or if we're going to take a different path, a path that, that follows who God calls us to be. It's a place of vulnerability for us, a place where we have to take a long, hard look at ourselves and decide if we're being the people that God wants us to be or if there's some big difference between who we are and who God calls us to be. And because those places of vulnerability and, and places of fear are, are so difficult for us, it is a natural inclination for us to try to avoid places like the wilderness altogether. 
It's a natural inclination for us to protect ourselves from that vulnerability, to try to stay away from those places where we have to take a long, hard look at ourselves and decide how God has called us to be different people. An example from my own life, Julianne and I have some dear friends from our previous church, uh, Chris and Hannah. They're dear friends of ours that we've remained in contact with over the years. They've actually been married a good bit longer than we have, but every now and then, Chris and Hannah will reach out to us individually. Chris will reach out to me, Hannah will reach out to Julianne, and sometimes they will talk a little bit about their marriage, maybe even vent a little bit about what's been going on in their marriage, about times when they're frustrated, times when they're worried, times when they're concerned. Concerned, times when they just feel like their marriage is not what they want it to be. Like good friends, Julianne and I try very hard to, to listen to them at, at different times, but, but often both of us will share with them that they need to, to try to work on this together, to go to a, a counselor and talk about the difficulty that they're going through. And almost every time we suggested that to each of them individually, both of them had excuses for us as to why they didn't want to do that. One of them might say, well, it's too expensive. We just don't have the money to go to a counselor right now. Or another might say, well, it's, it, we don't have time because we're working so hard. There's no time in, in the day for us to, to get to a counselor. Or some of them might say, well, it's just, I don't believe in all that counseling mumbo jumbo. I think we can just work on it together if we just keep doing what we're doing. But after hearing all of those excuses one by one, both Julianne and I realized that there must be something behind those excuses. There, may, there seems to be some fear in their voice, some fear of what would happen if they went to a counselor, some fear of what would happen if they had to admit their vulnerability to each other, some fear that maybe they will get hurt if they go to a counselor or they might hurt their partner if they go to a counselor. And so they were using all of these other excuses to avoid going to take a long, hard look at themselves and a long, hard look at their marriage. Because maybe if they went to a counselor, they would have to do something differently than what they were doing before. They might have to follow a different path, a path that they were not prepared to follow. Now, I'm thankful to tell you that our friends have started to see a counselor and are, are, I'm thankful to tell you that they're working hard and still together. But it just goes to show you that those places of vulnerability are places that we're afraid to go. And that's what the wilderness is like for all of us. They're places where we have to take that hard look at ourselves and decide if we're really trying to be who God wants us to be or if we're trying to be who we want to be. It's only natural that we would avoid a place where we have to look at our faults and look at our frailties and try to be vulnerable rather than trying to make ourselves strong, make ourselves powerful, make ourselves beautiful for the world around us. Instead, the wilderness is the place where we have to be vulnerable people, vulnerable with ourselves and vulnerable with God. And maybe it's only a natural that we would try to avoid those places. But for some reason... Jesus doesn't avoid those places. Jesus goes to the lonely place several times in his ministry. His ministry actually begins in the wilderness when he goes out and he's tempted by the tempter three times. And he goes to, to lonely places many times throughout his ministry to pray. He goes out to the wilderness again and again. Even here in this passage, he goes out to the lonely place to pray and Jesus goes there because he seems to know that when you go out to the wilderness, 
something transformative can happen. And I think that happens in our passage here this morning. Jesus goes out to a lonely place to pray, and all of a sudden, after a few hours of praying out there, Simon comes to look for him, and others come as well, and they say, Jesus, come back to Capernaum. They're ready for you. We've got more people that want to be healed and want to hear you teach and want to hear you preach. But something changes for Jesus out there in that lonely place because he simply responds by saying no. Let's go on to the next town so I can preach there also because that's what I have been called to do. Jesus could have gone back to Capernaum and been a very happy person. But instead, at that crossroads in that lonely place, he chose to take a different path. He chose to start walking to Jerusalem, to another lonely place, to a lonely hill and a lonely cross because that's what Jesus was called to do. Jesus goes to the wilderness time and again because Jesus knows that the wilderness is a transformative place where we come face to face with ourselves and come face to face with God. And we learn then that we can be more than we, we ever thought we could be if we just have the courage to go out to those wilderness places and make ourselves vulnerable to God and let God lead us. Some of you might have seen the movie a few years ago called Freedom Riders. It's the story of a wonderful teacher named Erin Gruel who worked at a school out in California. She worked with the toughest students in the school. Many of those students struggled in in countless ways. Obviously, they struggled with their grades and struggled with school, but many of them struggled with drugs. Many of them struggled with crime. Many of them struggled with problems in their own families. Some of them struggled with poverty and homelessness. They were all struggling, and, and many people in that school had had already written them off and said that these kids will never succeed at all. But Aaron was called to be their teacher and wanted to find a way to reach them and help them. But most of the students that she found in those first few days of her class had, had put up those walls and had made themselves tough and difficult to read and difficult to work with because they just knew that being vulnerable would make them vulnerable to the world around them. They wanted to protect themselves and so they made themselves tough and hard. And Erin knew that the only way she could reach them is if she found a way to give them the courage to be vulnerable, to face that crossroads in that wilderness themselves. On a whim, she was talking to another teacher one day, a teacher who doubted all that these students could do. And so that teacher told Erin that none of her students would ever be able to read a book from cover to cover. So just to prove that teacher wrong, Aaron went out and bought 150 copies of the diary of Anne Frank, gave it to her students and asked them to try to read that over the next few weeks and months. She knew it would be tough for some of them, but she had started to to build some trust with some of them. And so they started reading that story, story together and talking about it in the classroom. For the first few weeks, of course, many of the students didn't know how this story would apply to them. But as they read it more and more, they started to realize that they could see something in themselves in Anne Frank. They could see something in Anne that they felt themselves. Anne, in her diary, talked about feeling trapped behind these walls like a a bird stuck in a cage. And all she wanted to do was to be able to fly. 
And many of these students read those words and, and realized that they felt trapped as well, trapped in their lives that they could not escape, trapped by that prejudice, trapped by their family, trapped by the drugs and the crime that was all around them, trapped by their reputation, trapped in ways that they could not control. And they realized that they could see themselves in Anne which made it so disheartening for them when they realized that Anne didn't make it out. They came to class one day angry and upset that they heard, read, had been reading the story about Anne and she never made it. They wanted to, to see that Anne had made it so that they could make it too. Finally, the teacher said, you can make it if you just do what Anne did. Let's write about it. Write about who we are and who we want to be. And so each of those students took time to, to write a letter about what Anne Frank meant to them. And she sent all of those letters over to Amsterdam to the woman, Meep Geese, who hid Anne and her family for so many years during the Holocaust. Well, this woman, Meep Geese, read all of those letters. She was an elderly woman by this point, but she was so inspired by these letters that she flew from Amsterdam to California to meet all of these kids who everyone else in the world had written off. And there, looking at all of these students, she gave them a crossroads. She gave them a chance to take a long, hard look at themselves and to be courageous. She said, you have the chance to keep Anne alive or to let Anne die. You can let Anne die by giving up and giving in to all of those cages that keep you in your life. Or you can help Anne live on by striving hard, by doing what she did, by transforming your life and not giving up. Somehow, those kids had the opportunity to look themselves in the mirror, to see Anne Frank and to see themselves and to be new people. And many of them transformed their lives all because they were willing to be vulnerable and admit that they didn't want their life to be what it had been. Many of those kids went on to write books, to go on to college, to be the first student, the first person in their family to go on to college, all because they were given this crossroads. They were given this chance to take a long, hard look at themselves and think that they could be more. Jesus Christ gives us that opportunity too, calling us to the wilderness, calling us to step out in faith, to go out to those difficult places, those vulnerable places in our lives, to have the courage to take that look at ourselves and remember once again who we are and whose we are. To remember once again that we belong to God and it is God that path before us. To remember once again that we are called not to follow our own path, but to follow Jesus Christ on that path to Jerusalem. Now, I know some of you feel like you might have been in the wilderness over the past few months with everything that our world has been going through. And many of you have faced that with courage. I know many of you have, have faced this pandemic by, by taking time to look at yourselves, to think about all the things that we took for granted before this pandemic happened. And you've been trying so hard to, to learn how you can not take those things for granted anymore. Those relationships, your community, your church, the, the world and the environment, all of those kind of things. You've been trying hard so that when this is over. You don't go back to the way you lived before, but you can be new people. People that God has called you to be. 
Many of others I know in our church have been trying to, to go out into the wilderness and face that wilderness because of the, the, the racial tension that we've experienced over the past year. And you've had the courage to take that long, hard look at yourself, to go out into the wilderness and realize maybe there are things I am doing, whether they're conscious or unconscious, that are hurting my neighbors around me. And I don't want to let that continue. But yet there are still some of us even I have to admit at times, I have looked at all the pain and the suffering around us and I have said, boy, I wish things could just get back to normal. I've wanted to avoid that wilderness altogether. But then we hear those words of Jesus calling us to go out to that lonely place, to be courageous, to follow in the path of Christ, to follow in Jesus' footsteps. It would only be natural for us, of course, to want to avoid that wilderness because after all, we know where Jesus is going. Jesus is going to a lonely hill and a lonely cross, another lonely place that all of us are afraid to go. But then again, if we think about the story one more time, we realize that the wilderness story doesn't end on Good Friday. The wilderness story is a story of transformation. The wilderness story is a story that ends with an empty tomb and an Easter morning. If we will only have the courage to follow where Jesus leads. So this season of Lent, we have all entered into a wilderness time, a time that we can't avoid, a time when we are called once again by Jesus Christ to take that long, hard look at ourselves, to think about how we can be more like who God wants us to be. You may not have the courage to journey there. But the good news is that if you do, if you try to follow on that journey with Jesus, then the story ends on Easter morning. The story doesn't end in a lonely place, but it ends with the good news of the gospel. The story ends with transformation to the glory of God. Amen.